Welcome to another episode of the Millennial Recruiter Podcast, the podcast for forward-thinking recruiters. On this episode, I'm joined by the founder of Walton Gilbert, Mr. Paul Carter. Me and Paul have a very open and honest conversation about numerous things. What does it take to stand out in today's very competitive recruitment market? How have businesses needed to adapt their cultures in a post-pandemic world? And all sorts of other topics in and around the recruitment industry. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave me a little review on Apple Podcasts. And I hope you enjoy it and have an awesome day. Cool. Welcome to the Millennial Recruiter Podcast. How are you doing today? Yeah, good. Thanks very much for having me. It's been a while since uh, since we agreed to do this. It, it certainly has. And it's, it's great to see you again as well. It's, I remember back in the day at the at Deco Academies, you're giving all the your, your sort of black and white feedback to, to the trainees. Do, do you want to give us a bit of an introduction and tell us about yourself, Paul? Yeah, yeah. So, I've, oh goodness, this is my 24th year in recruitment. So started with the Deco, um, goodness, October 97, um, as a, uh, a driving recruiter back in the day. Um, I managed about three months of that before realising I was terrible, terrible at doing drivers. So I got moved into, I didn't get fired, fortunately, but I got moved into uh, industrial. So I was like, effectively resourcing and doing the admin behind the scenes. I wasn't doing any of the business development at the time. And just worked my way through the industrial team, became industrial team leader. This was for the office in Newcastle. Then, goodness, two, this is like my CV in it. 2002, I had the opportunity of going to open a smaller branch in Northumberland, which became pretty successful. Did that for about two and a half years, then got the opportunity of going back in to manage the much bigger piece of business in Newcastle. So that was in 2004. Uh, and I worked my way through the manager ranks to sort of principal manager uh, and decided to move on in April, May 2018. 20 years, I think, was enough within a large corporate business. Um, you know, I loved it, loved it, loved the business, loved the company, uh, very people-orientated business, but um, my time was up. You know, you know your time is up when you get out of bed in the morning and you, you, uh, you don't want to go to work anymore. And I think that was me. So um, decided to go alone and over a few beers in the pub with some friends and my wife, um, they were basically giving me that nudge just to go and go and do it. So I'd noticed there wasn't a great deal of rec to rec um, up in the Northeast. There was one lady who'd been doing it a long time and had the monopoly in the area um so i set up in may june 2018 uh went on holiday for two weeks i was just talking to sam my consultant a little bit earlier and that was the only two weeks i've ever had i think in recruitment where i've not had to look at any emails or any missed calls or anything like that because i didn't have any business yeah. so um that was a lovely break and then came back and it was all systems go so a little over three years later we've uh we've rebranded we've scaled and um we are now, uh, I like to think, we are pretty much the most successful rector rec in the Northeast, certainly. Um, although we do cover Yorkshire, cover the Northwest, a little bit of the Midlands as well. So absolutely love it. And we've got some fairly ambitious plans to scale, uh, probably the back end of this year into next year as well. So that's my life story in about five minutes for you. Fantastic, Paul. And what, what do you think has made you so successful within the rector rec space? 
I think the key to us is, is honesty. We are 100% honest. I think all of that training that, that, that I had over the you know, 20 years of not CV throwing, getting to know your customer, never been the heaviest business development person in the world, which you don't need to be in rec to rec, which is great. Um, I'm just a relationship builder. I'm really open. I'm really honest with my candidates and my clients. And we build those long-term working relationships where I gain in the main exclusivity with my clients. Um, and I think it's just honesty. That's, that is the number one. If, if, you know, if you'd ask me in one word, what makes us good at what we do, it's honesty. Yeah, definitely. I think you're really right in what you're saying there in terms of honesty as well. Why I thought it'd be great to have you on the show, Paul, because I know that all the answers are going to be very clear, black and white. I think it's also... They will be black and white. Yeah, well, I mean, Newcastle fans has got to be black and white. <laughs> I think it's something that I noticed when you were giving feedback at the Deco Academies. Obviously, you would always give very clear, specific feedback without necessarily worrying about I don't know, being a bit too fluffy and like, overly nice to someone. With fluffy, with that, I am not. <laughs> I mean, so, so with with that, obviously, having your finger on the pulse in, in the rec to rec market, particularly in the busiest market that you've probably like, I, I don't know about you, but this is what's mad at the moment. What What do you think companies? Or, or no, first let's start on the, the candidate side. As a, as a recruiter who's looking for their next step, what, what do they need to know before handing their notice and what do they really need to start thinking about? They need to think about what they, what they are frustrated with in their current role. Yeah. It may be money. If it's money, I, guarantee, I don't guarantee I can't help because I can get them more money. But the likelihood is if it's purely cash, they're going to accept a counter offer with their existing business. Yeah. Um, they're just almost kicking a few tires and, and and hoping that by getting an offer elsewhere, they're going to get more money with their current business. You know, I'm not going to go down the counter offer <laughs> discussion because we all know that as soon as people counter offer, they're gone, yeah. but they need to know why they want out and what they want out of their next business. At the moment, it's actually never been a better time to move yeah. for, for recruiters because the choice is endless we're giving candidates that we're speaking to four or five opportunities at a time and letting them choose what they want. But what we're not doing is we're not giving them four or five same opportunities. Yeah. We're giving them four or five opportunities. So one may be a small boutique agency. One may be a, they, there you go, go and set up your own division for this business. There you go. You can take investment from somebody and set your own recruitment business up. Um, or you can go and work in a you know established business, or you can go and work in a really small business. So we give them different opportunities, which allows them to clearly make their mind up as to what they want to do and where they want to go next. And we're here to guide and advise um, and facilitate a process. And with that, like obviously you, you've worked for the biggest national in, in the recruitment industry, and you you've you have to say in inverted commas because the others. The other ones might disagree with that. <laughs> well, I think I remember when, when I was at uh, the Adeco Great Group, we had it from down that we have ten percent of market share. No one can. It's probably changed a little bit now. I might get some uh, people having words with me over it. But you've obviously worked for, for those, and you, you've worked for for yourself scaling up a business. Um, what 
what would you see as being the difference between your bigger nationals versus your, your more boutique agencies in terms of what they can offer? Uh, um, you know what? So the, 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 the global agencies, dare I name them, there you are on the full fat coke is always. Always. Never always. anybody so slim drink so much full fat coke. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. So with the bigger global agencies, you've got more security. You've got more training. You've got more clearly defined career paths. So, you know, you enter in a deco, you go in as a consultant. You've got a path that's financially uh, financially biased that if you hit X, you go to senior. If you hit Y, you go to principal. You then get an opportunity of a branch manager, a senior branch manager, a principal branch manager, et cetera, et cetera, an executive manager. I think they have there now. They didn't have when I was there. Um, with a boutique agency, uh, sorry, but with the globals and with the national agencies, you've got a lot less freedom and a lot less uh, opportunity to express yourself individually, I think. You have, you know, clearly defined KPIs, and those KPIs are defined by best practice. So the top performers are analysed, how many calls do they make, how many meetings do they do in normal non-COVID times, I suppose. How many candidates do they interview, how many CVs do they get out, how many jobs are they picking up, how many are they filling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You very rarely see that in the boutique and smaller independent agencies. You get much more freedom if you're producing the end result. Nobody questions how many calls you make to a client, how many candidates you're interviewing. They don't care. It's really how, how well you integrate yourself into the culture of the business and how much money you're putting on the board as a recruitment consultant. And you can go as far as you want to go and at a significantly quicker pace than you can with the globals. And uh, I mean, with that, obviously, like they sometimes, like, there's lots of people that will often talk about what bigger agencies can't give compared to boutiques. But equally, like bigger agencies, it, it can be a, a real good way to to learn the trade within the recruitment. Like I, I learned a huge amount being in a Deco's training team, like absolutely phenomenal amount. You will learn. You sorry, you will learn much more working for a national agency at entry level than you will at a at an independent business because they don't have they don't have training teams yes i know a lot of a lot of the businesses engage with external trainers now who, who offer you know i guess video training but does anything really be going out of the office out of the the the, the cut and thrust of it and getting four or five days classroom training to learn the trade? Probably not. Um, but you can, you know, you can got to take some self-ownership of development, haven't you? You can learn yourself from, you know, if you're in an office of eight or nine or 10 higher performing people and you're an entry level person, they will teach you and they will guide you. Um, and you can potentially learn quicker than you will do at a, at a, a bigger business. Yeah, swings yeah. and roundabouts I suppose yeah definitely I think it's why that anyone who is looking to move and speak to someone like yourself they should really think about what, what is really important for them at that stage in their development and equally for them Absolutely. to think okay how does this fit into my long term like when I went to a deco there was always that plan of I'm going to go and learn what it's like to do L&D within a deco before I go and set up and do freelance training afterwards I was always in my strategy. I think it's. Oops. I guess 
I guess sometimes if you know if you are a entry level person, you probably certainly if you're going in as a recruitment consultant or a trainee consultant, you probably haven't got that three to five year plan. You're going to go in. You know, you see a lot of a lot of attrition in recruitment because it isn't really what it says on the tin. Um, I don't know any jobs or any careers out there that are any more diverse than recruitment. You know, you've got multiple stakeholders, candidates, clients, colleagues, uh, other officers, um, you know, job boards, uh, LinkedIn, all of these different methods of, of doing, of getting to where you want to get to and being successful. So there's nothing more diverse. So to, for people to come into recruitment and have a plan is probably, there's probably not many people. You know, I fell into it. Matt, most people fall into it, right? Um, it's very difficult to have that plan. Maybe going into L&D might be a bit different if you had a, an end game. I think going into recruitment, there probably isn't an end game to start with. There may be as you're developing and growing and becoming more successful. But I think, you know, day one, you come in and you don't know what the hell you're doing and you open your laptop and you've got some logins that's printed off in front of you. It's like, okay, what am I doing here? I don't know what, what I'm doing. What are you? You're consciously incompetent, aren't you, to start with? Yeah, definitely. I think it's funny, like, I, when I reflect on myself, I was one of those cheeky people that always had game plans for stuff and really thought about the industry in terms of what I could get from it in the long term. But equally, I was lucky. I saw that through my dad being a recruiter. So I saw that there is opportunities in this industry to, to do well and to, to flourish. Now, w w one thing I wanted to ask you, someone that's got your finger on the pole speaking to lots of candidates out there that are often like hugely successful what do you think makes a successful recruiter in modern times uh what what traits do you need to be successful yeah you need to be driven absolutely i'm gonna give you a load of buzz, buzzwords now shall i <laughs> you gotta be thick-skinned and resilient we know that uh we know human nature we know candidates let you down we know clients change their mind we know candidates change their mind so you've got to be able to uh, dare I say, peel yourself off the floor. Yeah. Or when times are good, you've got to be able to enjoy those times because around the corner, you never know what's coming, you know. March 2020, I'd had my best ever month in February 2020. And I had interviews going on, coming out my years in March 2020. And then Boris's announcement on the Thursday that we're locking down on the Monday, everything just dropped off a cliff. So you've got to be able to, you've got to be resilient. You've got to have a plan. Uh, you've got to be, most of all, you've got to be really, really good, good at communicating. I can't get my words out, right? Good at communicating. Um, you don't have to be incredible at sales. You know, a lot of people are from the outside think recruitment is very, very salesy. Not sure it is. It's about building rapport and relationships and being open and being honest and communicating. And that's what makes a good recruiter and being able to be to balance and manage, certainly on the PIRM side, manage processes and provide your candidates with help and assistance where you will walk them through the process, whether they are a director or whether they are a grad. You know, we we provide the same process in rec to rec for every one of our candidates. Okay, in a slightly different way, clearly. You don't need to handhold a director through a recruitment process, but we still speak to them afterwards. We still feed that back to the clients. We get the client's feedback. We take that back to the candidates. That's just running a process. You've got to be process driven. You've got to be organized. Um, you've got to be resilient. You've got to have great communication skills and you've got to have drive. 
you know, you've got to enjoy what you do as well. I was having a conversation with Sam a little bit earlier, my uh, colleague, and you know, she'd um, she'd done operational or engineering recruitment for a little while, and she just didn't like it. And she said she couldn't be successful in it because she didn't enjoy it. So you have yeah. to enjoy what you're doing and and the people that you're speaking with. Otherwise, you can't be successful. Yeah, oh, I massively agree with you. You, you, you wouldn't. Uh, you, you'd probably understand this by knowing me. There was certain brands that I did less well with when I worked within the Adeco Group because I would never have a financial services desk. I would never do a law desk. I couldn't do it. And I, I, I had the opportunity when COVID hit to think, okay, what, what type of desk do I want to do? I love working with ex-military guys. I understand technology and engineering. So I'm going to focus on operational roles within those sectors for guys that served in the forces. I, I love it. I love speaking to my candidates. I think that's so important in being a successful recruiter. Definitely. I think that's why Sam and I do well is because we can empathise with consultants having frustrations because we have been there and we have done that. I don't believe, and people out there might disagree with me, I don't believe you can be a good rector rec if you can't empathise with what consultants and managers and, and your candidates are going through. Mm. If you've not done what they've done, how will you guide them through to make the right decision for their next employer? I don't think you can. Yeah, no, I understand that. Even I think if in, in any type of market that someone works, there needs to be a reason behind it. Like when I speak to ex-military candidates, I come from that perspective of when I was a young industrial recruiter, my best friend was serving in Afghanistan, defusing bombs. Like that's what stand, standard for a living. I think you have to really enjoy and understand your market and have that interest where it's absolutely eight, eight in the evening you're, you're clicking through your news and you're reading an article for enjoyment not because you have to do it yeah yeah now obviously like, i want to flip this on on the head a bit because if you think about it six months ago we was in a marketplace that was purely client driven like candidates would find it difficult to get into positions or even if you go a year ago whereas I think now, I go a year ago for that yeah. yeah whereas now it's turned on its head so I can imagine for you it's very clients have to be very competitive within the rec to rec space what, what, what do you think recruitment agencies are, are doing to try to attract more people what do they need to do to attract more people <sighs> they need to do I don't necessarily think it's all about paying more yeah. I think there's a danger that the market can pop if salaries keep going. Supply, we know basic economics, supply and demand. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the lower the supply of consultants that are looking to move, uh, the higher the salaries go because people are getting desperate and they need to fill that seat that they have got. Yeah. Um, what do they need to do? They need to probably, I say, move into a little bit more of the 21st century. We've got all of our technology at our fingertips. An example of that is that my last holiday, dare I say it, I'm tired. My last holiday was May 2019 in Egypt, and I did two deals whilst I was lying by the pool, right? You can do it from anywhere. I had a post go on LinkedIn yesterday talking about more clients needing to offer a hybrid, flexible working model. A lot of businesses that um, have come out of COVID have seen that. They've had no choice. They weren't allowed in the office. They were having to work from home, but there were businesses that um, as soon as the offices were allowed to reopen, everybody back in the office straight away. And of course, that 
produced for about six weeks that produced a good number of candidates coming on the market saying hey i've been doing all right sitting at home and i quite enjoy the fact that i don't need to commute you know if you're in london you've got that hour hour and a half commute it's a bit different up in the northeast it's easier but even a half hour commute into the center of newcastle you know i can almost roll out of bed jump in the shower and stick a shirt and put a shorts on <laughs> and go on my zoom meetings and my team meetings and um i think i think flexibility certainly that hybrid model perhaps um and i think maybe more inventive ways of retaining people um you know we know that in the market that we're in there is a shortage of candidates at the moment and it's not just for recruitment consultants it is a skill shortage across the board there's 975,000 active roles i think i read in the news a couple of days ago uh we've got a skill shortage right so do i have the answer well no i don't otherwise i'd be uh, the chancellor i don't have an answer it certainly isn't just to keep throwing salaries up yeah. now that sounds a bit odd because i work on percentages the higher the salaries the higher my fee right that's natural but it isn't about that necessarily so it's about how, how people are being trained it's about how people are being developed within their existing businesses it's not just about bending over and giving people that are thinking about leaving exactly what they want yeah. um that will just spiral salaries where the economy will just pop effectively. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, I think I was actually talking about this uh, before getting onto this call. For any business owner, it takes some time for someone to recoup what money you invest into them. And I, I was on a call later with uh, my directors talking about a potential hire that we've got. And I know that my one of my directors is going to tell me how much money this hire is going to make in our first couple of months, I know that's just not possible. Like there is that that drag, but equally the whole flexibility thing now is, is, is mad. It is it's huge. It's huge. And uh, have a look when we come off, have a look at the post that went on, that, I, that went on yesterday around, well, my post was basically around flexible working. Should clients offer it more? And there was a real mixed bag in it. You know, some, some people on their managing directors of recruitment businesses were saying we do this for years some have been saying absolutely not we need them back in the office camaraderie is key etc 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 so there is some for me there are some sectors where they can't offer that flexibility if you're if you're running high volume industrial temps businesses uh where three or four people work together on the same you know delivery you're better off in the office together because you're working together communicating together about candidates coming through the door uh if you are working as a you know a specialist tech recruiter into the us you can do it from anywhere right um so yeah flexibility is one of them additional benefits perhaps better i don't know better holidays better better pension schemes uh what more can they offer i don't know I don't know, it's difficult. And I think sometimes it's not just about those, the things that they say on the advert, holidays, benefits, but it's about the culture that they have. And I, I was talking to someone even before my last call who is potentially going to be joining my team. And we were talking about different types of, of cultures. I think there was that old school mentality where 
one of my friends said that he went went and worked in business and for his first three months was passing any good candidates that he came across to other consultants they would then bill and then suddenly he was pulled up in a meeting saying guys you're not doing your job properly you're not made any placements whereas those candidates effectively come from him I think you and he wasn't getting a split of those candidates no he wasn't getting a split at the time I think I think this is the thing about split-based cultures it's 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 funny seeing that okay yeah some agencies they want to I don't know look after our top billers and I worked for businesses where you would resource a placement that was seven grand and make 150 quid in terms of commission off. but those placements absolutely without you resourcing them I mean, you know what, salespeople in the big in the bigger organizations, the salespeople were the ones that benefited the most. Absolutely. If you could go out and win business, um, you would you would have more opportunities to develop and to grow than if you were, were a customer services consultant or a delivery consultant or a resourcer. That has flipped on its head. Anybody can go and win business now because there is that much business out there. Can you deliver it is another matter. So for me, delivery consultants and customer service consultants and however, whatever you want to call them have always been of equal importance. Yeah. And those people should always have been rewarded as well as the people that went out and won the business. You can win any old business, right? A business development manager going out for a branch and going out and winning a, winning a vacancy for a one-legged tap dancer can't feel it right but oh I've, I've gone and won another job it's irrelevant it's irrelevant and that comes down to what makes a good recruiter at the end of the day is is knowing the marketplace and knowing knowing the availability of candidates in that marketplace so you're doing a finance market you need to know whether there are enough quality qualified part qualified accountants in your geographical remit to be able to develop and, and, and run a successful desk on that and that's just about market knowledge from a client and a candidate side i think almost one of the, the biggest changes that i've really seen is how important market knowledge and how that's trained to consultants so i remember being told oh you don't have to be a surgeon to place a surgeon nowadays the more you know about surgery the easier it is going to be to, to, to make placements I think it's why, again, going back to what you said earlier, it's, it's important that people are passionate about their marketplace. They take an Definitely. I think, I think that, uh, you know, the market, again, the market's flipped, right? It's, it's, it's job heavy, so it's candidate short. So you need to get to know the ins and outs, dare I say the ins and outs of a fart of a candidate, right? You need to know <laughs> everything about them. What makes them different? What, you know, if you're lined up with three candidates all with the same experience, all with the same skills, what makes that candidate different? And then that's understanding the culture that they would be working in, their, you know, their um, their hobbies, their, you know, what they're interested in, because that's what could be the unique selling point. Um, and that's it's very difficult to train that. It's very difficult to train being inquisitive. You know, fortunately, Sam and I are very inquisitive, and we want to know everything about the guys that we're working with, not just to place them, but because we care. We, you know, we want to, you know, we're not going to be best friends with these people, but we want to go, you know, pick them up and say, hello, mate, as opposed to hello, John. 
Yeah. Um, it's been big, ses- big sexist there, but you know, what do you want? It doesn't really matter, right? <laughs> but you know, you want to get that relationship with people that they are open and on- on- honest and transparent that you can then place them into the right cultural fit for them because they've got the skills you can place them in 10 10 clients but actually to give them the best fit you need to know what they're like culturally yeah yeah no i I think that it's right i remember i had this discussion quite a few times on this podcast i worked for an it agency and at one point i was told i spent too much time on the phone to candidates and the, the moment I was, they, they stopped saying that to me, it's because I built 30 grand on Perm uh, via a candidate that I had interviewed ages ago and never placed because that candidate got on more with me than he did the other agency that placed him. I think, I, I think it's that thing, isn't it? The, the more we build relationships and we see people as individuals, we humanise the process and we genuinely... They are, they are not products. Yeah. They are our product. They are not products, they're human beings that have feelings and want to have conversations and want to build relationships. And I think that's where we set ourselves above, dare I say, above our Northeast competition. The feedback I get is they're looked at more as a commodity than as as an individual. We spend a lot of time on the phone and on Zooms and on Teams and almost face-to-face these days again, with our candidates to really get under their skin and really understand them so we can take them to market. It's yeah. as black and white, talk about that again, black and white is that. Yeah, and I think it's, it, that is going to be, yeah, the reason for you is successful because as a owner of an equipment business, I want to know that any candidates that I've got coming via rec to rec that those candidates are right for me. And the only way that's going to happen is if the rec to rec understands those candidates and the rec to rec understands me. I don't get me wrong. People can throw shit against, or someone could get lucky, send me the right type of candidate without really qualifying and and make money. But yeah, you've got to know your clients equally. You know, you've got to know your your clients, you've got to know what the office is like. You've got to know the culture in that office. If they are office-based, of course, there's lots of remote roles still around or around full stop that you will never Meet your meet your colleagues face to face because they may be elsewhere in the country. Um, you've got to understand for office based or, or or hybrid, you've got to get the culture. And we know very quickly we know the market, particularly in the northeast. And if we speak to a candidate, we know what's going to be the best option for them. And we um, we discuss that culture. We discuss the culture as much as we discuss what the potential package and offering and holidays and, and and everything else will be it's about culture for people and i think going back to your initial question is what can agencies do more is perhaps uh push their culture more as opposed to just push their earning potentials if they join us what's the culture like I've got a client in newcastle that um they work the us it market they don't do anything in the uk they work us uh out of all of the clients I have, and I suppose some of the other clients might not thank me, they've got the most uh, inclusive culture in terms of, I'm not talking about, you know, going to the pub every single night and getting hammered and come back to work the following day. I'm talking about celebrating success. Um, all of their team leaders were promoted to associate directors a couple of months ago. They shut the office, they celebrated that, they went out, they took the team out. Um, I think that's culture. That's the embodiment of good culture 
and we tell our you know we tell our candidates that this is what these guys do and independence day they took them all out for a bottomless brunch do they call it yeah. so basically the office was shut and they all went and got pissed <laughs> that's, you know what that's culture isn't it it's a it's a and that doesn't fit everybody but by us knowing that culture within that client and all of our other clients we can then best fit candidates to that culture to that business uh, i think this is sometimes what recruiters forget particularly when you look at say engineering or technology recruiters it's not necessarily about a candidate having a hundred percent of the technical skills is how that candidate can fit into the culture like i'm i'm recruiting for a, a project in the middle east and one of the difference between me and every other agency on it is none of my candidates are close to a perfect fit from the job spec what they've got though is all those candidates fit from a cultural perspective and it's yeah. why they're all at interview stage at the moment you can teach it right you can teach the job yeah. you can't teach somebody's attributes and somebody's personality that comes from within them now personalities do change over the years i was quite a young shy retiring individual i guess when i first came into the recruitment industry and that's changed somewhat over mm -hmm. 20 24 years yeah. um so it's about the culture <clears throat> you know, there's a big argument to say that people can't swap sectors you know if you're a uh, finance consultant you can't do tech if you're a tech consultant you can't do engineering i don't believe that i believe if you've got the right attitude and you've got the right people to train you and coach you and develop you then you can flip and you can switch sectors and be very successful in that yeah definitely i, I would certainly advocate that i i enjoy doing industrial but uh, going from industrial to it where the amount of contractors i had was vastly different yeah and the margins were significantly higher. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I think this it's is horses for courses in that respect. You, yeah. you know, I wouldn't put an industrial temps recruiter into an executive search no. perms opportunity because the personality probably won't suit it. Yeah. I wouldn't put a senior level uh, or a C-suite exec search recruiter to go and run a healthcare desk. It doesn't work, right? It's apples yeah. and pears, but there are certain sectors that, People can flip if they've got the right attitude and they are a cultural fit for that business. That's a, a, a great, um, great comment there, Paul. Like it is all about how that person fits and understands their, their role within the business and how they suit it. F my final question then. So if you were speaking to someone that's relatively new to recruitment or they've just started a new job on a desk, what, what advice would you give them to have a long-term sustainable career within our industry. Oh God, don't do it, man. <laughs> just repeat that again. Sorry, so, let me get so my head around that one. Someone's brand new to recruitment. They've just started on desk. What advice would you give them to have a long-term sustainable career? I think it's listen and learn from those around you is the absolute key. You know, I was a fresh-faced graduate in, when I graduate, 96. So I've done a bit of, crappy call center work i was a fresh-faced graduate coming into recruitment thinking i was the dog's bollocks chip on my shoulder i'm more intelligent than everybody else and you know what? i fell flat on my face <laughs> so my it doesn't matter whether we're you know we're in the late 90s or we are in the early 2020s here listen and learn to people that know what they're doing uh take their advice and uh and put it into practice but put it into practice with your own spin 
use your personality to be successful. You know, it isn't, recruitment isn't a transactional thing. You are not selling pens and computers. You are, you know, you are building relationships with individuals that you need to build a, a rapport with, to be able to, to work with them, both within the office and externally. Uh, Listen and learn. Listen yeah. and learn. I, I, I agree so much with you there. So, look, Paul, thank you so much for, for coming on to the Millennial Recruit Podcast. For anyone listening, I'm speaking to Paul Carter, uh, Carter with a K, and his business is Wilton Gilbert. Make sure yeah, you, look, you there follow you go. There's the sticker. <laughs> I, I clearly wasn't on uh, LinkedIn there, Paul, to... So I thought it was Wilson Gilbert, and I, I then saw the, saw the L there. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I got that part right. Yeah, you can get me on there. You can get me on LinkedIn, and my numbers on there, my email is on there, etc., etc., etc. Cool. Thank Not you plug. so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, mate. You're very welcome, mate.